0: Hey, all this is Dave Korsunsky. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We've got a lot more great guests coming, so stick with us. If you like what you've been hearing, head to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Helps keep our show going, and we really appreciate it. Just a few quick updates on what we've been working on with HeadsUpHealth.com, which is our app that allows you to centrally track all of your health metrics so you can use data to optimize your health. We just finished our integration with Elite HRV, so you can link your Elite account and your heart rate variability readings will show up on your Heads Up Dashboard. Our electronic integration with Keto Mojo is right around the corner. It will be available in October of 2018. You'll be able to purchase a Bluetooth connector for the Keto Mojo device and it will instantly sync the readings with Heads Up Health. So we're really excited about that one. We've been beta testing it. It's working great, and it's right around the corner. Our mobile app, also right around the corner. We've got a bunch of beta testers. It's working great. That one should be available in September 2018. Our integration with Chronometer has just started. It'll take us two or three weeks to finish that one up. So lots of great new features in the Heads Up Health app. Check it out at HeadsUpHealth.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio and today i am speaking with Jillian Zolos who is a fellow canadian so we have that in common i was born and raised in winnipeg and i understand you're in ontario jillian correct
1: i am nation's capital i'm in ottawa
0: yes and we had a wonderful connection at the ketocon event which took place earlier this month in austin texas put on by the good people over at Keto Evangelist, and you got a chance to see what we were working on, which is really helping people track their progress on the ketogenic diet, but in a very comprehensive way, looking at blood-based biomarkers and other lifestyle factors that all need to be tracked properly so you can, first of all, personalize your lifestyle, and then also so you can see trends over time and quantify progress, and that seems to be very relevant to your own personal journey. And so we headed off. We had a little uh, nerd safari and got into a bunch of numbers and data. And we decided to have you on here because of the wonderful work you're now doing as an educator, as an evangelist to people who are going through therapeutic medical conditions and need very, very specific advice on how to do the ketogenic diet properly. So welcome. I'm very grateful that you're here to share and educate our listeners. So thank you for joining and tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Thanks so much, Dave. It's really, really wonderful of you to have me on. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share this information with your listeners. It was great to run into you at KetoCon. And, you know, I came back from that conference and I told my husband, I'm on such a high. I'm a, yeah. I, I was just oxytocin surging. And I said, you know, awesome. I probably hugged hundred and fifty people in those three. There days. There was so much hugging when, at this
0: conference. I, could, no I was hugging everybody too. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I said, like, when do you go through life and hug a hundred and fifty people in three days? No wonder we awesome. feel good. No wonder you were hugging. I know. It was, I was absolutely. Still am a little bit. <laughs> cool. I think I kind of need this to recharge every couple of months.
2: For sure. So
1: yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to tell you a little bit about my story. Really, it it sort of. Starts in two places, but I'm, I'm going to start you off on the day that that really my journey that brought me in to meet you began, and uh, that would have been probably back in July of 2014. And uh, as as you read in my story, I was. Coming home from the accountants, I was feeling very pleased with myself for having accomplished, you know, my my business account on time.
0: That's, and, I don't even believe and, that that's possible. <laughs> I <don't believe>. I <laughs> well, think it didn't lying. happen
1: this year, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen in 2014. So it's a myth. That, that a this is thing. a myth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Since 2014, it maybe hasn't been quite so well or quite so good. But um, nonetheless, I had accomplished that. And I was driving home and I had an aura. And for those of your listeners who don't know, an aura is a sign of an impending seizure. And it is very easily recognizable as just that and nothing else. It cannot be mistaken for anything else. And for me, my auras are, are very physical. So I feel this gastric rising. And for me, it's as if every cell in my body is filled with champagne and kind of bursting. And so it's not painful, but it's uncomfortable and it is absolutely unmistakable as an aura. Mm -hmm. So I'm driving along. I have this aura and thankfully I did not have a full seizure, but you know, I'm thinking to myself it's Friday afternoon, it's three o'clock. No, no medical centers are going to be open. My doctor's just retired after 20 years. I don't even have a new doctor online for another three weeks or so. So whatever. Yeah, probably nothing, you know, big flashing lights, denial, not really, you know, not, not really taking it very seriously. And then I had another one on Sunday and then I had to take it a bit more seriously. So I made plans to go and see, you know, my doctor and get a neurology consult on Monday, which I did first thing. And I went back to the office and my husband picked me up for lunch and we were chit chatting away as we were heading up for our lunch date. And he rounded a corner in the truck and I felt the aura and I felt my arm twist out and I felt my head drop to the side of the truck. And and then I was in a full-blown seizure. And when I'm in a seizure, I am fully aware of my surroundings, but I cannot respond to them. Mm-hmm. So I felt my husband pull the truck over to the side of the road. I heard his voice calling my name and I couldn't respond to him. And I could tell how frightened he was. But I couldn't respond to him. And about 30, 40 seconds later, when I came out of the seizure, I had that post-ictal nausea. I felt like throwing up. I rolled the truck window down. I dry heaved out onto the pavement. All the while saying, it's okay, honey, honey, it's okay. I know what this is. This is a seizure. (laughs) And he's like, what? (laughs) We've been married for 15 years and you've (laughs) never told me that you have epilepsy? What the hell is going on? So he wasn't too impressed with that.
2: Yeah. You, and, you, uh,
1: yeah. and I said, you know, I, I forgot, I literally forgot that I had epilepsy yeah. because I had not had a seizure for 30 years.
0: Well, that's a, I mean, so, if, if you, if if you've been symptom free that long, I think it's, it's probably normal to, to say, Oh shoot, yeah. I totally forgot yeah. about that.
1: It It's crazy. And, and that's uh you know, that's, that's the thing I, I just, I didn't know. And I, Remembered back to when I was a kid, and when I was probably seven or eight years old, I started having uh, absence seizures, and my mom would say I would lock on to a focal point, and uh, that would, you know, that would last for thirty seconds, forty seconds. And she was a very wise woman; she was actually a pediatric nurse, and realized something was wrong. So she took me to the doctor, and the doctor agreed, and they took me to Chio. Where she was told by the head neurologist that there's no way it could be epilepsy because I wasn't losing control of my bladder or my bowel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which, as we know, actually does not is not a requirement for a seizure. But back yep. in those days, they felt that it was. So they was didn't in do anything about yeah. it. Were you in yeah. Canada at this, this time? Actually, yeah, indeed. I was at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the best hospitals in the country. Yep. And so instead, I was referred to psychiatrists and psychologists, because they thought that there was something, you know, I was going through pre puberty, there was something emotional that was calling causing these, but they were not going to call it epilepsy. So you know, many years of that. And I joke and say I was, you know, discussing Freudian dream analysis with my <laughs> psychologist at the end of it. And he was saying, why are you here? You know, this is, yeah. there is nothing wrong with you yeah. that I can tell from, you know, my profession. Yeah. But I was still having seizures and they kept coming and coming and coming. And I would have 20 or 30 a day. I would have them, I would have them at school. I would have them singing in the choir. I would have them asleep. I would have them all the time. But oddly enough, I wouldn't have them when I was riding my bike or I wouldn't have them at all in the summer. So two months or so in the summer, no seizures when I was, when I was done. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I think that they thought maybe there was a psychosocial issue um, because when I wasn't in school, I wasn't having seizures, but that only lasted so far. That only lasted till I was about 13. And then I started just having seizures all the time. Mm -hmm. Lucky for us, When I turned 14, my family moved, and we moved in next to a really awesome and uh, well-renowned neurologist. And my mom grabbed him at a dinner party and said, hey, can you see my daughter? And he very kindly agreed to do so. And a week or so later, and a ton of tests, he had given me a diagnosis categorically of left temporal lobe epilepsy. And I had a lesion that was clearly defined on the left temporal lobe of my brain. And he put me on a drug called Tegretol. Otherwise so known this as was carbonated. diagnosed
0: with some kind of imaging procedure then?
1: Yeah. Okay. MRI, CT, EEGs up the wazoo. Yeah, they did everything, plus a full neurological workup.
0: So this was and missed then by, the, at, by the other doctors that yeah. you described earlier.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, right. times were changing. So, you know, maybe he was he was privileged to better information. I don't know. Yep. But my mother doesn't think so. <laughs> she thinks that it was actually, you know, just really badly missed. Yep. But anyway, it wasn't when I was 14. And I had one grand mal seizure after starting the carbamazepine. And then I did not have another seizure which was great because now I was 14, I was in high school, I wanted to learn to drive, I wanted to get my driver's license. So the fact that my memory was shot from the drugs didn't really bother me too much because I could drive. But by the time I got ready to leave to university, it was starting to bother me more. I was really struggling. I had only extremely short-term memory. I couldn't study beyond about 48 hours and actually have any kind of memory retention. Yep. And I had wanted to be a doctor. And I've loved sciences, but I just could not hack it while I was taking the meds that I was taking. So when I went to university, uh, I applied for an arts program instead of a science program. And I decided that I was just going to go off my medication, which was a very bad idea. And I do not recommend that anybody ever do that without their physician's careful supervision. Because it can rebound and you can have much worse seizures. Of course, I didn't know that at the time and I was 18 and 18-year-olds do dumb things sometimes. So I went ahead and did it, but I didn't have any seizures. And then time passed and I didn't have any seizures. And then time passed and more and I didn't have any seizures until that day in July when I was going to lunch with my husband. So,
0: so you just stopped the medication point, and had, yeah. had you made significant lifestyle changes,
1: Jill, during that time no. that you think
0: contributed or?
1: The biggest thing that contributed in hindsight, and I only know this because of the data I collected during, you know, my, my second seizure phase is that I grew up. So yeah. I started having seizures as I entered prepubescence and the worst of the seizures were over by the time I entered adulthood. So it was sort of that 7 to 16 range that was probably the worst, but I was on meds from 14 to 18.
0: Well, I know you mentioned in your story that there was, when you started tracking the second time, there appeared to be a hormonal component. And so that has been the the link with the first wave as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I actually pointed that out to my neurologist because he hadn't noticed it. Yeah. when the second seizures began, you know, I was actually reticent to even go into the hospital because I was still very much in denial, and my husband was trying to take me there, and I said, yeah. "No, I have to go to work. I have a meeting." Yeah. yeah. So, long story short, I did go back to the hospital. I did have another seizure that day in the hospital, and from that day forward, I basically began having between two and six seizures a day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they put me on a new medication called Keppra,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and This is where I'm gonna pause and have a pleading message to physicians. Whenever you prescribe a drug, regardless of what it is and what it's for, please read the drug insert and understand that the reason there is a list of side effects is that some people experience those side effects. So it is very hard for people like me who had the worst possible reaction to my medication to hear from my physician, oh, it's not the medication. When it says right there, personality changes, anger, rage, depression, suicidal ideation, all of the above. Never, ever have I had an experience like that before in my life. I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky girl most of the Mm -hmm. time. And and I I can attest to that, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> I've never experienced a clinical depression or, or a clinical um, you know, period of, of, of rage. And, and that's yeah. what was happening to me. I was raging out. And the worse the seizures got, the higher the dose they put me on. The higher the dose, the worse the seizures got. Oh my God. So <laughs> I needed some control. And, yep. you know, made, put it down to me being a Virgo and whatever. But <laughs> I needed some control. So the first thing I did is start to chart. I looked at the time of day I had seizures. I looked at the time of month that I had seizures. I took my basal body temperature every day so I knew the day I was going to ovulate and the day my period was going to arrive. I took my, well, I wasn't into blood ketones yet because I hadn't started keto, but I I looked at everything that I could and I went back to my doctor in three months and I said, hey, look at this. I've overlaid these last three months. Do you see a trend? Because I see a trend. I have way more seizures right before my period starts
2: mm-hmm. and then the minute
1: you crank up the medication, I get two or three days that are seizure-free and then they come back with absolutely alarming force and the type of seizure changes. So what used to be absent seizures lasting 35 seconds moved into more you know, generalized seizures lasting 45 to 60 seconds. And by the time I was at the 3,000 milligrams of Keppra, they were lasting four to six minutes and tonic-clonic and just horrendous seizures. And the last seizure that I had lasted 30 minutes long and was this close to you know, being rushed into hospital in an ambulance.
0: So could so, I jump in there for a second, Jillian? You sure. You brought up something that's very interesting, and I want to just touch on it for a second, but the way you were tracking your symptoms. It sounds mm-hmm. like you, you were experiencing different types of events. So you were, you were presumably categorizing them as the type of seizure that you experienced. The time of day, the, the, the day of the month. It sounds like also looking at the dose of the medications that you were taking on that specific day. So mm-hmm. I think those are important things for people who are trying to find their own patterns. So is there other things you'd recommend Absolutely. out there if, if people are, are listening and they're saying, okay, maybe, maybe there's some patterns here that have been missed. What would you recommend to people?
1: Well, definitely, um, definitely the app seizure tracker was really, really helpful for me. Okay. And uh, seizure tracker was, was fantastic and yep. really made a big difference yep. uh, because it allowed me to track the medication it changes as well. Yeah. So that was great. I could print off all the graphs. I could take them all to my neurologist, which is really what I wanted to do.
0: Sweet. We'll, um, we'll take a look at them. Maybe there's a partnership opportunity where that data could come into Heads Up Health.
1: I, don't, I can't even say, you know, David, that's the, the best one out there. But if there is one, like look at a couple and figure out which one can, can, can dovetail into Heads Up Health the best. And that would be an amazing thing for, for people to be able to add. And certainly it, it did help because when I took it to my neurologist, he said, oh, yeah, these are catamenial seizures. And I'd never heard that term before, but, you know, I quickly understood what it meant. And that was that they are there's a hormonal component. So then, you know, as soon as I heard that, I thought, right, endocrinology appointment here i come <laughs> I'm so you brought this data in
0: and you surfaced this pattern and through the data mm-hmm. you brought in they were able to further categorize what you were going through
1: yes absolutely
0: that's the and beauty of of patient empowerment and patient education and patient tracking so i just think that's awesome
1: it really is and it it makes me sad that not everybody is um, in a position where they can do that, uh-huh. and and I know so, that I'm privileged that I have the ability to do that. And you know, I I have said to other physicians in my life, you know, do you have 16 hours a day to devote to doing PubMed research on my particular issue? <laughs> absolutely and
2: not. The answer
1: to that is, is no. going to be absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, I, what I say is, look, I am going to do the 16 hours, which may mean that you need to give me a little bit more of time, if your time in the office, because I'm going to gel that down and pull out of it what I think is relevant. And then I'm going to bring it to you and I'm going to say, help me figure out if it actually is relevant or if it's relevant, what do we do with that information? That's what I need from my doctor's. And I think that, that should lucky.
0: be how it is. I think that should be the typical doctor patient relationship where we are in control of the information. We're the ones that are looking at this all the time. Then we can take this information in and ask them to verify it or discredit it or corroborate it. So that, that's an empowered position to take
1: in the doctor patient relationship for sure. I really hope that that's where medicine is going in the next little while. Certainly. I mean, I, I actually studied the sociology of medicine in university. And and I can tell you that that it's changed a lot in the last Mm -hmm. 40 years. And I can only hope that it's going to change for the better in the next 40 years. Yeah. But you know, the the next step of that whole data collection journey came after I'd seen the endocrinologist and I asked her for a ton of blood work. I wanted to know what my estrogen levels were and I wanted to know what my progesterone levels were. And although both of those numbers in and of themselves were quote unquote normal, my estrogen was incredibly high. And my progesterone was incredibly low. So the juxtaposition of the two was what was really important to my health. So I started doing more reading and I understood that estrogenics can actually promote seizures and progesterone can actually be protective towards seizures. So I thought, what can I do? Um, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little well,
0: bit. Hang on one second, because you, you, I want to I wanna highlight a point you made, which is important for people listening. And that's based on the sure, fact sure. that some of your ranges were in the normal range, according to mm-hmm. the laboratory report. What means you look, at, you look at the PDF, my value is X, and it's between this normal range. But one, one value was at the extreme high end of the normal range,
2: mm-hmm.
0: still not flagged. Another value was at the extreme low end of the normal range. And I think that's one of the limitations when we're just looking at the default ranges put out in these lab reports mostly Mm -hmm. because they're just a standard bell curve of all the people that come through the lab. So there's this other concept. We have a lot of functional doctors who come on this show and they define optimal ranges. So for them, they'll define a much tighter band that they want to see their their patient's lab values fall in. But if you're, if you're listening and you're just looking at the PDF and thinking things are normal and you still have symptoms, that's where you may also want to start looking at whether or not those functional ranges apply to you or not. Would you agree with that?
1: One hundred percent. And I mean, a great, a great example of that is the HbA1c that we're always talking about. You know, the ranges of HbA1c have have crept up over the last 40 years because they're looking at a large number of people. And the other piece to understand is when you're looking at lab values, those are generated from the people who have blood work done. (laughs) And by and large, those people (laughs) are less (laughs) healthy. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's why they're doing it. Not always. I mean, there are people like you yeah, me, and we yeah, get blood work done nerds. all the time. Yeah, it's and fun we're also, for us. right? Yeah, it's like exactly. Yeah. So maybe we'll see a trend in the next 15, 20 years where the values will come down because all the nerdy people are out there—healthy <laughs> nerdy people—getting their blood work done. We need, but you know, if you're listening, this
0: is a public. This is a call to action of all nerds. <laughs> we need healthy <laughs> nerds going to the lab regularly <laughs> yeah. break to, to skew Absolutely. the numbers back in our favor.
1: Bring it on. Bring yeah. it on. So this is kind of where um, keto came into my life. And I 100% in, in everything I say, I credit my husband for this. So it was very, very, very dark time in my life when I hit that 3000 milligrams of Kepra a day. And it was really the night I nearly committed suicide that we both agreed that under, doesn't matter what happens. If I die from, you know, sudden unexpected death from epilepsy, which is, is called SUDEP, that would be better than having my family life torn apart by the wow. the effects of this drug.
0: That so is a profound I said, statement you just made, Jill. That is yeah. really, hits home. And little, like, it where brings you tears were.
1: to my eyes yeah. Four years, you know, because this, this, this could have gone in a very different direction, mm-hmm. but My husband, who is an absolute angel of a man, is also really antisocial. And Mm -hmm. yeah, opposites (laughs) attract. I am quite, quite opposite when it comes to that. But he started a Facebook, like he actually opened a Facebook account that night. And he went looking online for a seizure support group to try and get some help to figure out how to help me. Mm -hmm. And it was there that someone told him about a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. and so she brought it to my attention and of course i said great i'm going to look into this and started reading and doing the the lit search and then i started calling around and i called in ottawa and i probably called 30 dietitians and not a single one of them was able to help me so then i thought all right i'm going to call children's hospital because a lot of the time this diet is is implemented in children and i knew yeah. that they did it at cheo cool so i thought i'd talk to the dietitian there And she said, yeah, sure, but I can't talk to you because you're not under 18. (laughs) So I thought, okay, forget this. I'm going to go right to the, you know, right to the source. And I called Dr. Eric Kossoff at Johns Hopkins University, who is, of course, the author of most of the journal articles I've been reading. And he was a darling and spent an hour on the phone with me. And he put me on the right path. He said, you know, Charlie Foundation, right off the bat. Contact them. Look at their website. That's where you can start your journey and go down the rabbit hole from there. Yep. And and that was really good advice because back then, and this was you know this was four years ago, only four years ago, there was hardly anything out there. There was talk in the blogosphere and in yeah. the internet on keto diets, but there wasn't the kind of crazy support or books or information that there is today. Yep. So, I. I followed that, I followed that lead and I came back to my husband and I said, that's it, we're starting. I
0: I just want to, I just want to acknowledge this individual you mentioned who took your call. And spent an hour on the phone with you and, and helped set you on, on the right course. I just think that's mm-hmm. a really wonderful thing from, from from someone who's working at a highly prestigious medical facility and is probably mm-hmm. inundated. So yep. that must have been a, a, a very comforting step. And it sounds like he was able to point you in the right direction. So I just want to acknowledge Absolutely. that that interaction you And had.
1: that's why I acknowledge him every time I speak, because yeah. it's it meant the world to me and because of his moment in time four years ago I have been able to be that moment in time for many others so you know his energy that he gave me in that one hour phone call I have given again and again and again and again in hundreds of phone calls to hundreds of other people and I just feel like I'm channeling it. Pay, <laughs> paying it forward
0: but, <laughs> paying it forward exactly yeah
1: that's awesome So I started um I started um, my ketogenic diet on October the twenty third. And two weeks later I had my last seizure. Yes. And I didn't know at the time that it was my last seizure. Because it was that thirty minute long one that was absolutely horrendous horrendous. And one I had more, one, more for the, one more for
0: the Gipper. Before before we go, <laughs> we're gonna take one more parting shot here. That's right. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna
1: claw as much yeah. as I can. Yeah. So, uh, I was seeing my neurologist the next day, and I went in and I said, okay, we're done. Kepra's done. Titrate me off. Do what you need to do.
2: Mm-hmm. And he
1: said, okay, it's not working. We're going to put you back on Tegretol because that seemed to work out for you before. And I said, okay. But I knew that if I did that, my career would be over. I, I'd have to go on disability. There's just no way I could function. I mean, I'd go in Work at a grocery store. I would be able to do something where I didn't have to have any kind of long-term memory, but I certainly could not work in, you know, health promotion or or consulting anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I was sad about that, but I took the prescription and I filled it. Except I didn't have a seizure the next day, and I didn't have a seizure the day after that, and I didn't have a seizure for a week, and then I didn't have a seizure for two weeks or three weeks, and then I didn't have a seizure for 49 days. So I never filled the like I never took the prescription I filled it but I never actually took it. And then on day 49, I had a breakthrough aura and I looked at my charts and I saw, "Oh yeah, there it is. I'm just about to have my period." And that's when I really started looking at the estrogen and progesterone piece. And that's when I said, "What can I do to change my diet to bring the estrogen down a bit? So no awesome. soy, no coffee, yeah. nothing estrogenic at all. And yeah. what can I do to boost sort of seizure protection so i started taking coq10 and 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 just really managing my sleep and and i have not had a seizure since then Mm -hmm. i have been completely seizure free now when i started keto again i tracked everything and because i'm a data-driven gal I wanted to basically present my situation as a case study. Yeah. So I did DEXA scans. I did blood work every 3 months. I did a carotid doppler. Um, I I did everything I could think of. I asked for every lab work I could think of. And such really interesting point, when I got my first lab work back 3 months after I'd done keto, I obviously done a whole lot of reading in that 3 months. And I was really surprised to see my a1c guess what it was
2: probably guess what my a1c was
1: after three months yeah it was 4.2 guess what it was before i started keto and i'd had blood work done i believe in the september prior to me starting in october
0: yeah somewhere in the sixes presumably
1: 6.2 it was borderline diabetic and you know what no one had brought this to my attention. So this is
0: another problem with conventional <laughs> ranges. Okay. So you're, you, there's obviously a huge metabolic component to to epilepsy. And, and this 6.2 fell in the normal range, never got mm-hmm. flagged. And that no. was telling you that there was probably uh, excessive amounts of blood sugar in your system. And three months yeah. on keto, you are able to drop that by a, by over two, two percentage points. Yep. Yeah. That's all I've and
1: I've, I've actually I watch it carefully, and, and usually my HbA1c now is usually between four point six and five point two. Yeah, um, which about keeps me in the happy range. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good with that. But what's also interesting was that, and and this is something I talk about in, in my my public speaking talks, and and I really want to drive this home again. As much as the side effects of the Kepra nearly killed me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The side effects of keto revolutionized my life.
2: Yep.
1: Because they've, I was 250 pounds when I had that epilepsy, and I had been struggling with my weight since my 20s. Yeah. Uh, since I hit puberty, i had been struggling with my as, weight. As many and people I have. have done everything. Who find course. keto? And I had done everything. You hear it over and over again. Every diet in the book. Cabbage soup. Done it. Done it. Mm. Done it. Done it. Mm-hmm. Been on Weight Watchers. My husband loses 25 pounds in the blink of an eye, and I'm stuck there for a year, and I do nothing. But I also have lipedema, and I didn't even know what that was until about six, seven years ago, but that makes it extremely difficult for me to mobilize my body storage of fat. Yep. So on top of this, I developed fibromyalgia, and I was in pain a lot of the time. And my C-reactive protein and my measurements of inflammatory markers were very, very high. And I had arthritis, and I was taking naproxen for my arthritis, and I was taking sleeping pills to try and sleep because the pain was so bad that I would wake up every hour to f- turn over because I couldn't lie on my side for longer than that. That was how much time I could handle.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: the first year on keto, I lost 50 pounds. Some people lose 100 in five months. I lost 50. I was happy with that. The second year, I lost 40. Now I'm down. 90 pounds. But if you actually look at my DEXA scans, I'm down more than that, but I've gained about 25 pounds of lean muscle because I lift heavy things a couple of times a week.
0: Thank you for bringing that up, Jill. I think that that's something that so many people on keto don't do is they lose all this weight, but they refuse to go lift anything. And there's no muscle mass on the body.
1: You got to lift. It's absolutely, it is, Imperative and I'll say that to any of you women out there over 35, you need to lift stuff up. It's important. Yeah. And when our kids Agreed. are young, we lift them up and they're heavy. But as soon as they get beyond sort of 70 pounds, we stop lifting them up. Yeah. And then we need to start lifting up kettlebells or yeah. even better, you know, deadlifting.
0: <laughs> so Which could is you, could my you favorite thing. For a lot of people who are maybe reluctant to go into a gym, it's very intimidating. A lot of the, a lot of the movements, they do require some practice, like being able to lift heavy weights is not something you just pick up. So no.
1: And you know, I, I think I have a story that a lot of people are going to relate to on this. Mm -hmm. I have been Mm -hmm. in and out of gyms since I was 14. I always try, I always go in, I always want to do it. Best laid intentions, blah, blah, blah. But I'm intimidated as heck whenever I go into the gym. So when this all hit, and and I started lifting, uh, I started lifting about two years ago now. I decided I needed a coach. I needed personal training because this, one of the things that was holding me back was that feeling of intimidation around the equipment, and and yeah. and yeah. I wanted to actually lift free weights. I wasn't that interested in in doing all of that. That's the best
0: know, way, is to do the free weights. I weight. think
1: so. Yeah. So I went in and, and I had a great coach, you know, yeah. I tease him all the time because he's the same age as my son. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, great, great young guy, very, very competent trainer. And and yeah. he built my confidence. And once I've been doing this for a while, um, my gym has a coached strength session, which is a, the thing I think every every city should have, you know, available to, to its patrons, a coached strength session. So I go – Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for an hour at lunch. My coach is there. The three to six other lifters that I'm with are there. We're all at different levels, but we have someone right there to say, you know, you need to get a little better depth on your squat. Well, for me, I struggled with my front squat forever. And, you know, my coach came up to me one day and said, you know what, you need to back off on the weight, back off on the weight, get your depth, get, you know, get it right. And then we'll move up. Agree. And now I'm, squatting almost 50 kilos which is yeah. pretty great yeah. <laughs> so you know it, but i wouldn't have done it if i didn't have a coach so i was thinking to myself on uh wednesday when i was actually at the gym and we were doing incline incline rows so you know mm-hmm. you have to lean over on an incline bench yeah. and hit and
0: the, the back right
1: so my butt is exposed to everybody and i'm thinking to myself you know what Yeah, that's crossing my mind. That I look really awkward in this position right now, but I also know that I'm the one lifting up the thirty pound dumbbells in my incline row, so I'm good with that. I I can be okay. Yes. But it is. There's no question that there are. You're always going to have self talk that can keep you away. Mm -hmm. And if you look at my on my website, I actually have a great little series with um with Danny Vega and Robert Sykes.
0: Total badasses
1: bad. in the world of keto. Total badasses. Yeah. So when I went to KetoCon last year, I knew I needed to work out and I was scared of working out with the beasts at Gold's Gym. So I called yeah. Rob and I called Danny and I said, yeah. Will you guys come work out with me? Oh, that's and so awesome! And we can awesome. do a little video. And we can do a video on, on how you have to watch it. It's the best video. Because cool. I, I sat them down and I said, You guys, you big beefy guys, I know that you are you have you're self conscious and they talked about the things that they were self-conscious about, and the best part, Dave, is at the very end, I asked them to lift up their shirts and show their abs, and I lifted up my shirt and showed my stretch marks. Yeah. And Danny was like, "Oh, but I haven't shaved my belly," and and Robert was like, "But but I'm not cutting right now." I said, really, guys? I'm Come on now, fellas. Yeah. Stretch marks, yeah. and you have these perfect bellies. Yeah. So it just goes to show you, you know, everybody, even everybody. even the guys who are ripped, yeah. there's they're still thinking about how they look. So you have to get past it. It's just too important to your health.
0: And if well, it means you got to do
1: it in your basement, then do it in your basement. Yeah, but I yeah. would say if you can afford the money, find somebody who will coach you so that you're competent and you do it right and you don't hurt yourself.
0: Yeah, I presented at KetoCon on the top 10 metrics to track on keto. And I probably could have easily just told people to focus on weight loss or waist circumference. But I said no. Lead mm-hmm. mass. Actually, the lean mass that you're building is probably my most important body composition metric, not only because you look good and feel good, but also because muscle mass helps to improve insulin sensitivity, it helps to further reduce inflammation, it improves our blood sugar control. So yeah, I'm glad you're in there lifting. I just think that's underappreciated for a lot of people who are following ketogenic. They lose the weight, but there's no muscle mass coming on. So I'll get off my soapbox Mm -hmm. on that one. Joe but I, but I am glad you're listening. Uh, sorry that you're lifting.
1: And I'm listening too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what happens when I try to do too many things at once. I was looking at my notes <laughs> and also trying to figure out what I want to ask you next.
1: Well, the thing I'm going to throw in here next because it's relevant to lifting and it's also yes. relevant to my data collection Please. is because I have DEXA scans done. Every six to 12 months. So my goal had been to do it every 12 months, but I've been biohacking a bit. So I I bumped it up a little bit, but I can tell you that when I started my T score for my bone density, which is a measure of, uh, of bone density compared to, I can never remember which one is, which one is compared to 35 year old woman. And one is compared to your own age group. But my T score was 1.1. So all your listeners need to know is anything under one is a problem. It means you've got osteopenia, your bone density is not good, you're at higher risk of fractures and all of the things that come with age. Yeah. And as women yeah. age, they tend to lose bone density. Yeah. Well, my yeah. T-score on my last DEXA is 2.2, which is unheard of for a 49-year-old woman. And especially because every single DEXA scan I've had since I started this journey, my T-score has gone up.
0: Well, that's one of the benefits of lifting weights. You don't mm-hmm. get that from running. You don't get that necessarily nope. from yoga. You get that from dumbbells, barbells, functional movements. That is whether you're worried about osteoporosis or on the man, uh, on the men's side, bones tend to shrink we tend to get smaller as we age one of the best things we can do to prevent that is the heavy lifting and mm-hmm. you sound like you Absolutely. quantified it you could see it in your data going
1: 100 percent.
0: cool yeah so many many benefits to bringing in strength training jill i wanted to ask you more about some of the labs i know you mentioned that hba1c was a big one for you and mm-hmm. fi- finding out that you were on the high end of the normal range there You also mentioned that were you testing for progesterone and estrogen as you were making these nutritional changes to calibrate that? Can you can you order those tests easily?
1: No, I can't order them easily, um, unfortunately. And I wasn't testing regularly. I tested twice, so I tested um, I tested just after I started keto when I really thought that you know I, I needed to figure out what was going on with this hormonal fluctuation. So I basically got the endocrine appointment. As soon as I figured out my seizures were catamenial, but the actual appointment fell a little while after I'd started keto. Yeah. And of course, you know, my endocrinologist's specialty is diabetes and she did not want to hear about it, mm. but um, that's okay. I, I just, I didn't push her on that. And yeah. I just I said, can you just run the lab for me? Mm-hmm. And she, she was very good about that. So I did, I did uh, manage to get that done twice and it did, my estrogen did come down. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I also eat a fair amount of broccoli now, too. I try and eat foods that help to get rid of um, estrogen. And, and I'm hoping that as I approach menopause, that, that's going to happen naturally. But it was pretty bouncy, you know, over the last couple of years.
0: That's cool. The reason I ask is because it sounds, it, it, there's clearly a, a pattern here related to uh, hormonal balance. I've never ordered those tests myself. Do you know if those are tests you can get from a LabCorp or a Quest?
1: For you guys down in the states, I'm not sure. For here, oh, so it's actually pretty it easy. Like, yeah, yeah so yeah. we can just. It depends on your physician because a lot of a lot of people here in Canada, anyway. If you go to your physician and you ask them to check your estrogen, your testosterone, you know, all all of your hormones, they will usually say yes. Sometimes, and I'm noticing it more and more often in Ontario, um, physicians really want to stay within their scope very tightly. So if sure. they feel that they are not going to be able to respond to an abnormal result of any lab that they're asking, they will send you to a specialist. Fair so enough. for me, yeah. that's what my, my physician said, yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable because I'm not gonna be able to respond to whatever is in here, so I'm gonna send you to a specialist to do the, the lab work, and that's, you know that's fine. Um, so they don't say no. The US, they just they I'm, just make you no, do another
0: another step in the process, basically.
1: And what I would say is, in the U.S., you would probably find that, that a good functional medicine doctor or even naturopath, they're going to um, they're going to have access to that, especially the yeah. hormonal testing. Just and right I think now, uh, that's labs. where I would right. that was absolutely where I would be checking is is with uh, you know some form of integrative medicine specialty. Yep. Um, and if you're in a smaller town, start with your holistic pr- practitioner, whoever it is—chiropractor, nutritionist—and and see. Most of them do have links.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking on DirectLabs.com. I know that's where a lot of our users will go, and it looks like those tests mm-hmm. are available. Estrogen uh, total is seventy-nine dollars on Direct Labs. Yeah. So you can get it in right. the U.S. yourself. Anyhow, the reason I bring that up is because if people are suspecting a similar pattern and they want to start doing this themselves, mm-hmm. you can, at least here in the United States. So I just wanted to touch on it. And the that.
1: thing I would say, if you're, if you're thinking that it's the same sort of catamenial epilepsy, is you need to know when you cycle.
2: Yeah. You need
1: to know when and if you ovulate. And the best way to do that is to track your basal body temperature. And you can get a basal body temperature chart online at the click of a Google, (laughs) you know, just (laughs) Google it. And there are hundreds of them and then get a good thermometer and just take your temperature the minute you wake up before you get out of bed every single day. And you will see a very clear pattern emerge.
0: Yeah, we have that metric now, in Heads Up Health, so you can also log that data and track it because it's perfect. important for a number of different things, thyroid function,
2: mm-hmm. and a,
0: a number of areas. So if you do want to track basal temp, that's built into Heads Up Health. You can find it in there, track it next to other markers. We got that request from our functional docs. They said, Dave, we need our patients to track awesome. basal temp in there.
1: Now, can they overlay that with uh, glucose and ketones? Absolutely perfect because that was the coolest thing for me was to be able to see the incredible linkage between my glucose ketones and my basal body temperature
0: that's so a cool connection I, so what what, what what did you notice there jill specifically
1: it's i mean i don't even need to take my basal body temperature anymore i can just take a glucose reading and know if i'm ovulating so fasting glucose in the that, morning yep so if you if you do it out over a month Mm -hmm. What happens is right around ovulation, you Mm -hmm. will get the highest ketone level and the lowest blood glucose level right at that point of ovulation. Yeah. And and like it's almost every single month. It's very, very close correlation. And the exact opposite happens right before your period. You get very, very high glucose and very low ketones. And that is regardless of what you're eating. You can eat the exact same, you know, four to one ketogenic diet for the 12 days leading up to your period, and you're still going to get that spike. And, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I was actually... I was really surprised, but I was at a conference um in Banff and where I actually, by the way, got to hug Eric Kossoff. I'll have you know.
0: Perfect. And, he deserves uh, that hug.
1: I, he did and, and <laughs> I still hug him. I see him at conferences. Yeah. But uh, Stephen Pinney was there as well and, and we hung out for the better part of a day and I, I pulled him aside and I said, Steve, like why is this happening? And he said, Well, It's because you have systemic inflammation right before you have your period. You know, your uterus is about to slough off its lining. So your blood sugar is always going to go up as a response to that inflammation. Mm -hmm. And your ketones will drop. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that makes so much sense. So the few days before my period, I would make sure that I was very, very careful not to let any carb creep happen. And, uh, you know, to really be on point with my fat, making sure I was cranking it up appropriately.
0: Well, I think you bring up a really important point, and that's what you learn about your body once you start testing Mm -hmm. regularly, and once you start measuring your blood sugar every morning. I've tested my fasting blood sugar so many days in a row that I don't even really need to track anything else. I could just use that Mm -hmm. one number to calibrate everything, but that comes with a lot of practice, and then you start to learn how to master your own body, and I think that's really the key for everybody to... Reaching a state of optimal health is is doing the testing and learning your own unique metabolic footprint. And now it sounds like you don't even need to test basal temperature anymore because you can see the patterns in other numbers. That's when you know you're really starting to get all the pieces figured out. I love it. It's awesome.
1: And I'm just really in tune now. So, you know, I tell people if I go through a day and I have to stop and say, is my brain feeling okay? Mm -hmm. Or am I really sensitive to that flickering light right now? Then I probably need to up my fat a bit. And if I go through the day never once thinking that, then yep. everything is
0: good. I've I've got a few questions for you here, Jill, and then I want to just talk more about the work you do with clients. One sure. is the Charlie Foundation, and mm-hmm. we are going to be interviewing Beth from the Charlie Foundation in a great love, Beth. Yeah, I met her at KetoCon as well. Even though we'd exchanged many emails, I got to meet her face to face. So, for those who are listening, this is a wonderful resource if you're looking to implement the ketogenic diet in an epilepsy context, but Jill, can you share a bit more about their work?
1: It's really best to get all that from Beth because she's going to give you the whole history, but yep. for a lot of people, I'll give it to you just in a nutshell. Um, Jim Abrams, the the famous Hollywood director, is actually the founder of the Charlie Foundation and named for his son who suffered from absolutely horrific seizures as a very young infant. Hundreds and in per fact, day, i Hundreds, like 200 a day, and and I had a chance to sit down and talk to Jim in person um, at a conference a couple of years ago too, and, and he told me that he was in the library looking up the surgery that his son was about to have. When on the next page there was this discussion of a ketogenic diet, and this was in a really ancient you know textbook, and this is before the days of the internet, right? He was actually mm-hmm. at a library. Old school. And he took this back, old school, exactly. And he took this back to the doctors and said, Hey, like, what is this thing? Could we not try this? And they said, Well, we could while we're waiting for surgery. And they put him on it and he responded incredibly well. Yeah. And as a result, he took his not inconsiderable resources. And created this foundation and, and really brought along a lot of fantastic people who are very passionate about spreading the word yeah. and have created support and you know dietitian access all over the all over the US and uh, great resources, calculators, they put together cookbooks, they have great, great recipes. And they have a community, which is so important. Absolutely. And, I mean, most of their work is sort of targeted toward children, but there, there certainly are resources for adults because that's where I got a lot of mine. Mm-hmm. But the community piece is is the piece that is so, so important because you can feel very alone when everyone looks at you like you have two heads when you tell them you eat 170 grams of fat a day.
0: Uh huh. Well, that's changing for sure. But, yeah, that's – It community, is. Yeah. They do wonderful work. So I just wanted to give, mm-hmm. give them some attention here. And we'll have more on the Charlie Foundation soon with Beth. I also wanted to ask you, Jill, about um, CBD oil and um, cannabis. I know that those products can be extremely helpful. I read an article that uh, October 17th is the go-live date in Canada for nationwide legalization. And CBD oil is something I use every day just for my own general health and wellness. After hearing a couple of the health experts on this show talk about our internal endocannabinoid system and just how much signaling happens. From C B D, which is a completely non psychoactive product. I just take it as general day to day health. But is that mm-hmm. something that you take personally or that you recommend to people?
1: You know, I think there's a lot of really amazing emerging science coming out around C B D oil. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell you is that I have a lot of friends who do use it anecdotally. Yep. I didn't even know about it, to be honest, with my journey and my yep. seizures are under control. So cool. it's not something that I you don't need it that necessarily. I have no, and I'm not, not to say that, you know, it may not have other applications, but sure. um, my daughter is actually considering it now yeah. and her, her physician has suggested it for her. So um, I'm starting to learn more about it, but I, my mom used it for years for restless leg syndrome yeah. and, and we actually, we had friends who made it because it wasn't so commercially available yeah. and, uh, and, and we needed it in a form that my then 82 year old mom could, you know, could handle and she didn't yeah. want to smoke. Uh, But it was literally the only thing that would help her. And uh, she she had a very rare and intense form of that disease. So I think that it's really exciting times. And yeah, we were supposed to have go live here on July the 1st, but I think they needed to do a bit more regulation.
0: I can tell you (laughs) in the United States, I live in California, uh, right on the Nevada border. Both states have have fully legalized it. It is really a a superb experience, where you walk in, you deal with professionals, it's licensed, it's regulated. You ask the questions, this is what I need, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going through. The waiting room is full of people with cancer, and all kinds of conditions who now have safe, Mm -hmm. affordable, and legal access to products that are now regulated and extremely high quality. So I'm really happy that that's coming to Canada. It's been a wonderful thing here down in the United States, at least in my personal opinion. So Mm -hmm. um, two more questions, Jillian. One is, before we got on the line, you and I talked about the importance of tracking. And, And you've reiterated that multiple times throughout our conversation today, particularly with your examples about finding your own pattern that was hormonal, being able to actually take your hemoglobin A1c and compare it to the optimal ranges instead of the conventional ranges. You also gave another great example with some of the patterns you found in your thyroid markers. And I wonder if you could just share that anecdote as well.
1: Sure, sure. So I'm a big believer in being a self-advocate. And a number of years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, I, I'm going to actually preface my thyroid comment with an ovarian comment. So mm-hmm. I was uh, in a in an ultrasound, uh, having having a pelvic ultrasound done because I was having some pelvic pain. And the guy who was doing my ultrasound was actually a foreign trained gynecological oncologist. And I thought. You are exactly the guy I want looking at my ovaries. Uh (laughs) So tell me, how do they look? And he said, Oh, they're fine. But, you know, there's a cyst on one, but, you know, nothing, nothing else is really going on. And they're not normally supposed to say that, but he, he did tell me. And then I went home that night and that cyst ruptured. And it was excruciating. And if I did not know that I had an ovarian cyst, I would have run into the emergency room. I would have taken up time and dollars, but I knew what it was. So I took some painkillers and I went to bed and the next day I was fine. Mm -hmm. But I would have been really scared with the bleeding that came and with the pain that came if I did not know that. So the next day I get the call from my doctor's office and my doctor says, we just got your ultrasound results back and we need to refer you to a gynecologist for adenomyosis, which is a thickening of the uterine lining. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Is that all? And they said, yep, yep, that's all. I said, do you think you could fax me that, please? They faxed me my lab report, which was four paragraphs long, and had a lot of very interesting information, including the fact that I had a whopping great cyst on my right ovary, none of which they told me. The only thing they read me was the diagnostic line at the bottom of that document. Yeah, that's And I thought to myself, if that's all I'm ever getting from my doctor's office, I want every single lab, I want every single
0: yeah. time that's I've
1: had an ultrasound, I want everything in my own my, file my so philosophy. that I can read it.
0: I want everything, too. Absolutely. You so have that's have what started
1: it. me. Yeah. And then I went and, and you know, I, I was I had a great deal of difficulty losing weight, as I mentioned. So I constantly was saying to my doctor, I'm sure I'm, you know, hypothyroid, subclinical hypothyroid. Yep. and so I went and I said, give me, give me some thyroid testing. And she did. Many, 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 many times over years. And it was always within the quote unquote normal range.
0: Common theme so here on this show, time. Julie. This keeps coming up.
1: <laughs> Those <keeps coming> <laughs> optimal, normal optimal yes. yeah, Normal range, not optimal range. So at one point, I went back and I looked through the last sort of four tests that I had done. And I noticed a trend. I was high on one test and really low normal on the other test and then really high normal on the next test and then really low normal on the next test. And I took that back to my doctor and I said, is this normal? And she said, "Uh, no, actually, that's not normal. So that much vacillation back and forth between my thyroid hormone, mm, that was a bit alarming to her, but it was nothing she ever would have seen because she only looks at my most recent labs. She doesn't take the time to go back and look at my, and look at my, you know, my, my, my whole history. And this has been a recurring theme in my life. My, my daughter um, has suffered from some pretty profound mental illness in the last couple of years and was hospitalized. And again, her labs came back. They told me they were normal. I said, I would like to see them, please. They were not normal. They weren't even in what they classify a normal range. They were freakishly not normal. And when I said, do you not, Think that this is important? They said no, no, no. Follow up with your family doctor. Long story short, she has an MTHFR mutation. She is homozygous, and she cannot yep. metabolize SSRIs. And she had a huge, huge B deficiency.
0: Yep, so I have the same mutation. That took me homocysteine. That's one I got to track very carefully. Me too. too. <laughs> yep.
1: Me too. I, I I did mine as well, and and I have the same one. But I I just don't seem to manifest in the same way as my daughter. But that took me nine to 12 months of investigation, multiple pieces of, you know, multiple blood work being done and begging for these tests that most of the doctors have never heard of homocysteine tests, MTHFR mutation. What? What's that? So look,
0: well, now I'll you have patients it, coming in and we know what we're looking for. It's like, don't ask, mm-hmm. this is what I need. Cause we can go do the research. Like you said, the doctor's not yeah. going to go home spend 16 hours researching your case you have no. to do it and so the, the what I, when i started heads up health i really didn't see the patterns in my health data because i'd moved so much and i had mm-hmm. all these different pdfs and i'm like it was a rainy sunday i went all open up all these pdfs and i put all the test results into a spreadsheet excel from newest mm-hmm. to oldest and that's when i started to see my own patterns and the doctors didn't have this data they've got maybe one or two sets of most recent labs that's why, mm-hmm. that's why I built Heads Up Health is because I believe that everyone should have access to this, especially the people who need it. So seeing those trends, incredibly important, you know, just another anecdote. Did you see Carrie, uh, Carrie Brown? Speak? Oh yeah.
1: Carrie, Carrie, Carrie and I met uh, two years ago and she was the one who told me about MTHFR. And as soon as I started hearing, I, all these bells went off and I thought, oh my God, that's what this is. And I, sure enough,
0: yeah, but it was. Uh, I saw her presentation last year. It was bipolar. Is that correct? That she was dealing with and, and nothing was working and she started becoming, once she was well enough to even start doing Mm -hmm. her own detective work, the first thing she discovered was this MTHFR mutation. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: just by addressing that and getting the proper supplementation that allowed her to feel better enough to keep digging more. And then Mm -hmm. she was able to basically hack it herself. So, Similar when, when I heard your daughter had the same thing, that, that's what came up for me was her very profound. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, and, and I would never have known about it if it wasn't for Carrie. Carrie was, yeah. was instrumental in, in me thinking about it. And when I took it to my daughter's psychiatrist, he completely dismissed it at first. Yes. But then he ran a bunch of genetic tests yeah. uh, as a part yeah. of a trial they were doing and was so shocked by the outcome the fact that she actually can't metabolize any medication. Then he started actually doing his own PubMed search. And then he was like, wow, okay, I should know about this.
0: Well, I mean, that's understandable. To, and and that's a positive response, being open and saying, okay, mm-hmm. I need to go get mm-hmm. educated here. That's not always the case. And that's kind of a nice segue into the last thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. that you want to talk to people about here today and help people with is how to work with doctors who are uncooperative in ways that are non-antagonistic and you educated mm-hmm. me that punching them in the face is antagonistic so thank you for correcting me on <laughs> yeah, that i guess. so uh, help us find <laughs> I suggest some that's that's not a non way to start okay give us some better strategies
1: well i think it's important to um, first of all acknowledge that a lot of people are really struggling with their health and and they're they're in a lot of pain physical pain mental pain emotional pain And it's really hard when people dismiss that or they say there's nothing wrong with you or they say it's not the medication that you're on or, you know, a list of 100 things that they say that feels dismissive. So even if you're feeling like you've been dismissed, it's really important to bring your physician and your primary care providers on side in a way that is not antagonistic. and. Mm -hmm. I think what's really important is to go into every relationship, assuming that the person that you're working with really does have your best interest at heart. Absolutely. And they really do want to help you get well. Now, that said, they may not be as open minded to non allopathic, you know, less conventional directions, um, you know, as as you are, because you're the one who's who's desperate at this point and and grasping for straws and trying to find a way through because everything you've tried so far hasn't worked and I think one of the things you can do is just have a talk with your doctor and say I am willing to do that 16 hours of research a day to figure out what's going on with me and I'm going to distill that down into some salient discussion points and when I come in here to your office what I'm asking from you is for you To take those things really seriously and to give me your educated impression of what you think I can do with that, where we we can go. Is there another investigative line that we need or Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? That's what I need from you. You have the education. You've got background and and, and context that I don't have,
2: Uh but Uh you
1: have to understand that I have the time that you don't have. <laughs> yes. So I yeah. may unearth something that will teach us both, but yeah. I just need you to be open to that.
0: That's a and wonderful way large, to frame a conversation.
1: And sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes they're going to say, I don't have time.
0: Yeah. And, and
1: I have, I've heard people tell me that, in which case it's time to find another physician. Sure. And at other times you're going to find, I mean, my physician was great. The first year I asked her for an NMR profile. she said, I can't do that, Jill, because I don't know what that
2: is.
1: (laughs) But I know what it is. I know how to read it. The times are changing. But but I don't know. So I said, no problem. I'll get it from the endocrinologist. So I got it from her. And a year later, when I went back to my family doctor and said, now can I have an NMR? She said, yes, because we just had a really interesting conference on this. So (laughs) So, you know, the times are changing. But my physician is really great. She'll tell me where she has to draw her line for her own professional comfort. absolutely, And she will work with me as much as she can within that scope. And, and I respect that's
0: that. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. I love it. So that's good advice on how you can frame up a conversation in a non-antagonistic type of way and like mm-hmm. you said sometimes it may mean that you'll have to work with more than one type of professional as we all do these people yeah. are consultants you are ultimately the the driver you will engage those consultants as you deem appropriate if i have to get a mm-hmm. prescription or i get run over by the bus i go down to st mary's which is like a mile from me and i have my gp everything else i talk to my functional doctor in austin texas if I'm not quite sure, I'll call my sister in Canada. She's a naturopath. So right. these, these people are consultants, and that's the relationship you want to have. You as the mm-hmm. individual are responsible for having your own data and your own records and taking ownership of that. You're the only one that's going to find the patterns in there. So you you have to do that. That's what I want to help people do with, with my contribution, mm-hmm. which is the tracking software. So that's very helpful just on how to approach physicians. Now, you also work with a lot of people, Jill, and, and help them just as you were helped by the, uh, the researcher from John Hopkins. So how can people find you and, and get in touch with you if they have a loved one or if they are personally going through a scenario where they, they need your expertise?
1: There are a number of different ways to get a hold of me. You can go to my website, which is Mm ketoalldayeveryday.com. And that is named Mm -hmm. very specifically because it is targeted at people who are using a ketogenic diet therapeutically and will probably have to be on it you know, for the rest of
0: their seven
1: lives. 24-7 ketosis. 24-7, yeah. And, and that's not for everybody. And I, no. I don't suggest that it is. We're meant to be dual fuel burners. We're meant Absolutely. to be metabolically flexible. And, yes. and if you can pull that off, great. But if you have epilepsy, you can't. <laughs> At least <laughs> not for a little while. Yeah. So um, definitely they can reach out to me through there. Uh-huh. Um, or at keto all day, every day at gmail.com is my email address. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Instagram under the same handle and also keto.for.life, um, which is sort of uh, a combination. It's less less sciencey and more just about me and the things that I'm doing. But um, I tell others stories as well. So one of the things that really struck me when I started is that there are so many people out there who have really, really powerful stories. But everywhere I go, physicians say, oh, that's anecdotal. And I thought, you know what, that's not anecdotal. When you have 200 people who are telling you it's the exact same experience, that's no longer anecdotal. And I wanted there to be a place where those people could sort of gather. And I had this, idea, this dream of a virtual online poster hall where, you know, scientists could post their, their keto related um, posters, as well as lay people could post their actual experiences in the way that I did my own, um, my own case study. And, you know, one of the things that I see when I look at those posters over and over again are the year before keto and the year after. The number of visits to the physician, the number of medications before, the number of ailments before. Oh, that are beautiful. Those are beautiful those. stats.
0: Yes, let's see. They else. are, but yeah. you, know,
1: you know what's really scary huh. is, wow, like just me, and, and I, I'm, I have health care. Um, just me, I had $3,000 of medication a month that I ditched as soon as I started a ketogenic diet. And that's with insurance. Like I, it was paid for, but the, someone's got to pay for it. So the yeah. government's got to pay for it in our yeah. country. Yeah. But when yeah. you guys down there don't have that set up and you're paying thousands and thousands of dollars a month and then the hospital visits and then the doctor's visits, no wonder people don't want this to get out because the, the threat to the pharmaceutical company is real.
0: Yeah, your body has its own internal mechanisms to handle this. It's called ketones, and you can induce them very naturally and easily. I've been mm-hmm. back in ketosis this past week and have easily just dropped a little bit of weight, and, and I do have the ability to dip in and dip out. But yeah, this is our body's own innate biotechnology for healing. We just yeah. need to teach people how to use it.
1: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, that's that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what I do is I I feel very, very sad that in Ontario, for example, when you look at the um, when you look at the the information that is given to physicians to manage epilepsy, the rule is one drug, if one drug doesn't work, try two, if two don't work, try three, and if three don't work, try surgery. But nowhere is there a mention of dietary therapy. Yeah. And that to me is unethical. But that needs to be criminal,
0: actually. Now that you say it, Joe, it does need to be criminal.
1: Well, I, I will. I'll stick with unethical for now. But hmm. the, you know, the, the thing for me is that it, even if it was just me, if I'm the only person alive that had the outcome that I did, which of course is not at all true. But even if it was just me, I still should have been given that option because I was just so badly damaged by the other options available. And what has happened now is that people talk about it, but they talk about it in the same sentence as it's really hard. Most people quit. It's really unhealthy for you. It is not yeah, sustainable.
0: It's impossible oh, eating eating ribeye and uh, and asparagus cool. with butter every day. It's impossible.
1: That's what I, I said. Show <laughs> sure your doctor a plate of salmon, asparagus, yeah. and butter and ask them yeah. if it is a problem. Yeah. But um, you know, the other thing that comes along with that is that in in every piece of literature around ketogenic diets and neurological disease is a statement that it needs to be supervised by a physician. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I do not believe that that is doing the world service. I am going to also say that I do feel ideally you need your physician on board to help you with the labs that we've been talking about and to make sure that your keto is well-formulated and you are staying healthy and you don't have a genetic Absolutely. predisposition that means that keto is not an option for you. That's right. But it doesn't mean that you have to see a doctor before you start there are there are tons of resources and, and if that had been the case for me I never would have started keto because my doctor had never heard of it me before neither. my neurologist laughed it. at me and yeah
0: made a no. bunch of mistakes figured it out tested it you now you, 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 so I do
1: think that yeah you know I, I think that it's so important that this is that this is accessible to everybody, but that that they do bring their doctors on board. So if their doctors don't know, then it's their doctor's responsibility to become educated in order to support that client if it is working for that client.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I am in complete agreement on that. We, we, We try to provide some tools to help people make sure they're doing it properly. But absolutely bringing in the medical expertise, especially if you're doing it for therapeutic reasons, like you described.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, your system is so great because people will be able to print off the graphs and, and be able to say, look, they here do. it is in real yeah. time. We get and that feedback every day. that's beneficial for physicians. Yeah. yeah. Like that's I wish us. you'd bring it to Canada.
0: Well, we do have Canadian users. We have not internationalized it yet because the blood tests are in different units. So that all has to be mm-hmm. configured manually in Canada. What we'd like to do is when you register for Heads Up Health, we can detect what country you sign in from. And then we just mm-hmm. basically want to customize all the units to your local country. We're not that Great. sophisticated yet. So our our international users have to do that manually. But in general, we just want to give people ways to track and personalize and take control, share it with their doctor be able to consult with experts like you and have some data to show. So I think we're definitely um, kindred spirits on that one. This has been amazing, Joe. Thank you. A really, really wonderful and educational conversation. Thank you for all of the work that you do to help people, and it's really just been a wonderful honor to speak with you.
1: And thank you so much, Dave, for everything that you are doing. It is it is amazing, and. And I'm just so impressed by the way you're integrating other, you know, other, um, other health practitioners as well as innovators. You know, the Keto Mojo is yeah. awesome. Nutrition that you Genome you spoke
0: with today. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of it. So we're, we're trying to bring in everything so that people have access, everything under one roof. It's a lot of work. I think that's but,
1: absolutely amazing.
0: It's a labor of love
1: absolutely the birth will be painful but you know they'll grow up well that's
0: yes. what i say <laughs> yes well thanks joe it's been a great speaking with you and uh you, we'll talk David. to you soon okay bye. bye thank you for listening to data-driven health radio